Hi, I'm Brett Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Vaping activists in Canada are accustomed to fighting a barrage of misleading information about nicotine vaping that's pimped by a plethora of anti-vaping nonprofit health groups, then promulgated by a compliant mainstream news media. But over the past year, a disturbing trend has emerged. Vaping activists are being cancelled from participating or simply attending forums and discussions with public health officials on the potential risks and benefits of vaping. Joining us today to talk about what she calls systemic exclusion is national vaping activist and vape shop owner Maria P. Maria, forgive me, but please pronounce your last name for our audience. And it's great to have you back on the show. Oh, thanks, Brett. Um, it's Maria Papayawanu Dewey. I don't know why people find that so hard. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an easy one to say. So let's jump into it. Systemic exclusion. What is that and why do you think it's happening? Um, the way I define systemic exclusion with everything that's going on is we, someone like me, someone in the industry, someone that supports vaping products is excluded because they are in the industry. No questions asked, no room for any other decision-making in the process. You own a vape shop, you're not participating. You are sponsored by an e-liquid company, you're not participating. You work in the vaping industry, you're not participating. So it's, it's just there. It's systemic. There is no movement of it. They just make, they just assume we're bad people. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned that we just finished shooting an interview with Clive Bates earlier today. Most of our audience is familiar with him, a, t a tobacco control expert and former director of ASH, Action on Smoking and Health in the UK. And his article was uh, at the heart of what you're talking about. And that is, in a, he terms it as irreconcilable conflict principle. And it's basically at the heart of the WHO and the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, specifically Article 5.3. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. I actually became familiar with it probably about 16, 17 months ago when um, Les Hagen started this group, SAVE. So it's like all those A's in the middle. And it was a bunch of university students trying to have flavor bans and remove vaping products. And I reached out to them in hopes of maybe building a bridge and they actually said they can't because of who and that was probably you know one of the most shocking times to be called a tobacco company because I was like but I don't I'm not a tobacco company and then I started learning more about it and then it became a bigger and bigger thing over the last couple of years now so I'm surprised that um, but maybe it's because you're up in Canada and things have been a little bit, you know, sunnier or rosier for the vaping industry up until just the last 18 months. But this is definitely something that's gone on, you know, in many countries. It is a global effort to kind of clamp down on working with what the WHO and public health officials deem as people who are advancing the interests of the tobacco industry. Do you see yourself as that? God, no, I feel like I'm pushing back against the interests of the tobacco companies. It's like I'm a roadblock. Um, I think one of the best things, like I was kind of, I, I write a lot, I speak a lot, and I do like all this stuff. And really someone pointed out that it is not the e-cigarette that is the disruptor of 
the tobacco industry, it's actually our vape shops that are the disruptor of the tobacco control and the tobacco industry and the pharmaceutical industry and the quit smoking industry. So you know what? We're here to take, we're here to, we're fighting for the smoker and we're winning. So if you're fighting for the smoker and you're winning, why won't they talk to you? Because we're actually beating them as well. So the fight for the smoker and the best way to explain it is not between a vape shop owner and, um, I don't know, the people who make cigarettes, the tobacco companies. The fight for the smoker is between a vape shop, public health, smoking cessation programs, cigarette, and um, pharmaceutical. And the thing is, is that Vape shops across this country are winning every step of the way. And if someone listened that was making regulations and they didn't just systemically exclude us, systemically take away our lived experiences from the conversation of building regulations, creating protocols, I'm going to tell you this right now, we would not have a fake youth epidemic. We would have so much more. Like we would be in such better space. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, it was striking in interviews we had done with Clive earlier this year. um, I mean, previously with Dr. Lalonde, um, I think even actually even with uh, Linda Bald, but certainly some of the really high placed researchers out there that we've been talking to over the last several years have more often than not recently commented about how they won't talk to us. David Sweener has pleaded for tobacco control to engage in a conversation. I'm like, you mean engage in a conversation with you? Essentially, yes. So, you know, conversations with people like even David Sweener are not happening between tobacco control and harm reduction activists. I mean, conversations, okay, so David Sweener, I I get that. Like, these are big, you know, you're talking about the Linda Ball, the Clyde Bates, but public health, are not having conversations with the vape shop owners and using section 5.3. And that is a problem because when you get down to the, I'm going to say this word wrong, minutia. And you're like, did I say it right? You did. You're going down to the basics when your public health unit will not engage with you about what you're doing to help people stop smoking because you they think of you as a tobacco company there are there are big big problems ahead and that is what's happening i mean i have been discluded from conversations with my own public health unit in port hope ontario like so small town i off we offer them 500 dollars to help in their quit smoking program and they told me no and we ended up having this whole debate and they asked me to send anyone that hasn't tried Nicorette to them first. So, um, yeah, I know. So, but they exclude us. They don't want to know. They have the opportunity to understand the, the patterns, the buying patterns for youth. They have the opportunity to understand all those things where they can't wrap their head around them. So we'll do an all out flavor ban. But they do not, and they hide behind Section 5.3, and they keep hiding behind that because at the end of the day, 
vape shops are taking away their customers. And I've said this before, we are winning the smoker and we should be winning the smoker. And I'm sorry that they're, they're not doing a good job, but vape shops are, we are therapists. We are counselors. We are cheerleaders. We are coaches. We are all these things that if they talk to us, they would understand. We're also the security guards. We keep, we do our best to keep vape products out of the hands of minors. So like all these things, but then again, they just take a paintbrush and say, tobacco company. And you have no idea. It just kills me. It kills me. And sometimes being called a tobacco company is hurts more than other times, especially when you have opportunities that are taken away from you that you're really looking forward to. Well, there's one one thing is for certain, you know, as far back as when FDA deemed vaping products to be tobacco products. I mean, I really see that as the thing that's kicked this all off. And with that misdefinition, all the dominoes fall after that. Yeah. And then when you look at Canada, they technically were not a tobacco product. It's the Tobacco and Vaping Product Act. Yet you have Canada and Health Canada supporting and paying for events that that systemically exclude the vaping industry from the conversation. And it's like, really? Are you like seriously going to be doing that? Like, and then you claim to say that you are being fair, yet you just kicked me out of something because I own a vape shop and your hands are clean of it. Health Canada should not be sponsoring events about vaping that don't include the voice of the vapor if they want to be seen as fair because in in these meetings in these conferences is where regulations and ideas are shaped and the event you're talking about right now we're going to get to in just a second i'd like to make sure for our viewers that we give them a little bit of an understanding of what this 5.3 is that we've been talking about first i'd like to just direct everyone's attention to uh, Clyde Bates's piece, which we've curated here up on RegWatch, and uh, it was originally posted. Of course, you can get to the original post uh, through our site here, and it's it was originally, actually, ironically, maybe ironically, uh, on Tobacco Reporter. So it's an actual piece that you know is speaking with inside the tobacco industry. It's a heck of a piece. It's by far probably the single best piece I've seen written, analyzing what's going on and why. And it's called The Governing Idea of Tobacco Control. And as just, I won't read the whole article, but sometimes defining an iron rule or governing idea and reorganizing our understanding of the world around it can be immensely revealing. And that is what's going on here. And so in setting and implementing their public health policies with respect to tobacco control, parties shall act to protect these policies from commercial and other vested interests of the tobacco industry in accordance in accordance with national law. And that is basically, it is actually word for word, what is in Article 5.3. So this is the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, which is uh, put out by the World Health Organization. And this was 2003 that this was implemented, started going into effect in 2005. And in 2008, that's when guidelines came out, which further kind of spelled out what was to happen with 5.3. And in the end, what Clive is saying is that there is an irreconcilable conflict between that's carved out, that's saying that the interests 
of public health shall never align <laughs> with the interests of tobacco industry. And I mean, I can understand that because tobacco, of course, you know, they've got a bit of a, you know, a dastardly reputation because, they, you know, their product is deadly. They did, you know, market to children. Um, they did spend millions to, to, to confound, you know, good public policy with regards to tobacco control. But yet, you know, this process of demonizing and actually calling big tobacco evil creates a situation in which that they're radioactive and anybody that you think is in, in your way, you just deem them to be working with them and they're radioactive too. So vaping, harm reduction even, is radioactive. It's like really, really like, it's like tobacco control and who studied the tobacco handbook from the 1970s. And they said, you know what? We're going to screw them the same way they screwed up. So we're going to use their playbook. We're going to do everything that they did against vaping. Because you know what? It does not make sense that someone, that this product works without pharma behind it, without our sponsors behind it. And I know I sound a little bit conspiracy theory, but I'm just like looking at this from the outside. But I just want to point out on YouTube, some people were saying that 5.3 is a Canada thing. It's not. No, it's the World Health Organization. This policy affects everyone in the world that is part of the vaping industry. Oh, and it affects some more than others. The, in fact, indeed, Canada's had, you know, like that rosier, sunnier position when it comes to vaping. So it hasn't affected us over the last couple of years like, like it is now starting to become a very big issue. But across the world. I mean, it, it's really hard uh, for some, you know, activists and people who are concerned, even researchers, right? If you want to do research um, on tobacco and tobacco harm reduction, good luck trying to find money if your position might be one that's a bit more amenable to a tobacco harm reduction outcome. It's just, it's hard because here's the thing, you know, at the root of it all is we have to think about the smoker. And we have to think about that, the human being. And it's an addiction. Like we have a policy inside of our shop that if we don't allow people to refer to smoking as a habit, because that minimizes the success when you no longer smoke. Public health, all these organizations that are supporting and using 5.3, they, they don't realize or they're choosing to ignore that there is a human being that you are taking away an option from and minimizing their life, their potential and their future and choosing to take away harm reduction for whatever, you know, whatever reason it may be. And you know what, if it's to protect the pharmaceutical industry, hey, just be straight up. You know what, our nicorette sales are down or, you know, this and that. Don't hide behind fear mongering. Don't hide behind sharing misinformation. Don't hide behind canceling the voice of the smoker out of the conversation. How can you help someone if you're not talking to the person that you want to help? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to get your head around. There's no doubt. Let's jump into the Canadian Public Health Association and their forum on vaping that was held this September. Is this one of the events that you had some problems attending? Yes. And you know what? 
I have to say it did inspire me. Um, I'm just going to pull up my speech here because I don't want to misquote because I do have to say is I registered for this event and they asked you right up, do you own a vape shop? Are you in the vaping industry? So I disclosed everything. And again, I did not understand systemic exclusion until this point. So I thought, well, I, I just own a vape shop. Like, what's the big deal? Like, I'm just attending. I'm not asking to speak. Like, I don't even know if I have the courage to ask a question in the question part of Zoom. So, you know, I paid my $150. I was super excited. I, um, you know, made sure I had the time to focus and listen because there were some good conversations happening. Um, you know, I was a little disappointed to had heard rumors that Stanton Glance was going to be there, but I would have found it very interesting to see him interact. Um, Dr. Pipe was speaking again, someone who is not a fan of anything that we do in vaping. However, he would be speaking and it would be nice to see and understand where it's going because it's in these forums. I truly believe that they're, um, that they form their ideas and their opinions on how to convince governments like they did in Nova Scotia, they've done in BC to create very, very prohibitive regulation. And the day before the event, I got this email saying, sorry, we're sending you a refund. You can't come. Well, it was nice enough. They gave me back my money and I flipped the F out. I was like, so like my feelings were hurt. Like, you know, I'm just going to be straight up honest. My ego was bruised. Like it wasn't even, it was beaten up. I was like, how can they, like, what? Sorry if I kind of broke the window there with that what. Um, so I emailed everybody. I figured out who was on the steering committee. I sent them all the same email. I just said, hello, I would like to understand why I'm not included in this. I own a vape shop. I am not a tobacco company. Do you not know the difference? Um, so this is the response I got. And I have to say the chair and I guess the CEO of this organization, he's a very kind and generous person with his time when it came to me. He is, I think he gets it. I don't want to speak. He gets the need for all of us to communicate. But because of this forum and the way it was done, he sent me a really interesting email and about the steering committee position. Uh, and I'll get to who sits on that steering committee. Steering committee's uh, position of excluding someone like me. And I'm going to quote, unfortunately, because of the long history of the tobacco industry, confounding tobacco control efforts and the move by the tobacco industry to infiltrate and take control of the vaping industry, there is a lack of willingness to allow individuals who have a link to the vaping industry, even as an independent retailer, to be involved with knowledge exchange events such as the forum. So, anyways, this I, is, this I, sounds like the, this sounds like the you know the end game of what happens when you go well if it looks like smoke it must be smoke but it's vapor right yeah. oh if it's got nicotine it must kill you you know like a cigarette does because it has nicotine but yet it doesn't so it it's they're the ones doing the confounding they're the ones who are looking at their needs and looking at their threat and you know what we found an easy out. 
vaping, vape shops are our threat. Vape, the vape in the Canadian independent vape industry is a threat. And we are going to remove them because, and here's the thing is that you see what's happened. Nova Scotia. I mean, very little, like, you know what? I don't care about surface consultation. If there was genuine consultation, if there was a genuine expression from the regulators, they wouldn't have a smoking rate increasing by 20. They wouldn't have 29% of vapors returning to smoking. If they genuinely listened to both sides, but they just took, and I forget his last name, but Dr. Mohammed's position and their position, they've just increased tobacco sales. The people who are like working with the tobacco companies are literally the tobacco control people. They're making them the most money. Their policy making, their position statements, their fear mongering is causing tobacco to make more money. And like here we are, independent vape shops and the, the Canadian industry, and we're kind of trying to get in there to win back the people who went back to smoking and hopefully win back the smoker. And the sad part about this, and I'm going to say this, and because this is just heartbreaking, because I truly believe, like I truly believe, and I still want to believe that this might be a misunderstanding, but you have Health Canada sitting on this steering committee, the very body that regulates the product, the very body that sends the people into our shops to regulate us. They create those regulations pretty much had to agree. They, they sat on this committee. They're a sponsor. They they're a sponsor of the they're, event. They're also a sponsor. And they agreed to systemic exclusion of the independent vape industry. And they were okay with that. So what that, from my perspective, and let's just look at this because we always talk about this is the way things look. Let's look at the perspective. Let's look at a perspective. Oh, well, we're going to exclude them. We're going to give money to people who exclude them. How much are you going to genuinely listen to us? Because I've seen a change over the last few years where you're, they're listening to the noise. They're participating in the exclusion of us. And the regs are getting more and more restrictive. And going down a route, like we've been waiting, what, two and a half years for, um, what are those, the, the health claims or the relative risk statement? Yeah, the relative risk. There was the promise that there was going to be some statements that the industry could make that wouldn't infringe on the inability to make health claims, the prohibition like, on making health claims. But something that would help mitigate uh, some of the damage that's been done with all of the misinformation. Exactly, because they can share all they want. They can share that vaping is going to kill you. Vaping has this, vaping has that. But heaven forbid that I tell you that vaping is not as bad as smoking. I'm going to jail for two years. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm it's, really it's, tired it's, right it's, now. It sounds good, but like, like it's it's crazy. I've got the health claims, uh, the suggested claims that were released. I believe it was right at the end of the summer, 2018. And of course, got yanked uh, with the whole youth, uh, wealthy epidemic. Obviously, um, I don't want to put too much of a you know a glossy you know point on it. It was called the epidemic of teen vaping, and that epidemic 
clearly impeded the release of this particular regulatory process, which would have been pretty helpful. Like how helpful would these statements have been for you, Maria, if you were able to have used them in your store? I, you know what, I'm just going to own up to it. I still use them. Like, what are you going to do? Like, I, I think someone needs to be fined. Someone needs to be fined. We need to challenge them. Well, this we is know. the point. Well, they I just, don't. Go ahead. Sorry. Let me just say this. Because sure. here's the thing is that these regulations have some meat to them. And some of that meat to the regulations is who we supply vaping products to. And here's a really, I mean, maybe it's very basic and I, you know, not very fancy and not very smart, but how about we start enforcing supplying vaping products to anyone under the age of 19 and start handing out those $3,000 and $30,000 fines and start giving those convictions, having our local police department support us. Let me tell you, parents wouldn't be coming to our shop buying their kids their vape for Christmas this year. But no, we don't use the stuff that's already there. We're trying to create all these, this whole list of new regulations without even trying what we have. But you know what? I can't talk about that because I'm a tobacco company. <laughs> That's That actually is maddening, isn't it? It's annoying as F. Because I promise not to swear. But it's annoying as F. Like, like, it's like, oh my God. I can literally have my tobacco inspector, my federal tobacco inspector in my shop. And I could say to someone could come in and say, I'm only 16. Will you sell me a product? And I will say, sure, no problem. I could sell them a product. However, if that product had a lion or a monkey on it, I would be fine, but not fine for selling that product because they're not directed to enforce age. You had mentioned um, the kind of the issues around the Canadian Public Health Association, the event and the sponsorship by Health Canada. And we had showed there Johnson & Johnson was another one of the supporters and sponsors of that event. And, you know, funny enough, inside the program for the event is this wonderful full-page ad for Nicorette Mist, Quick Mist. And, you know, my question is, what, what do you think with regards to them being so brazen with pharmaceuticals are okay but of course, you know, vaping is not because isn't isn't this both supporting corporate commercial interests? And of course, why is pharmaceuticals better than something else? Because pharmaceutical companies do a lot of good as well. So like, let's just be like, you know what? They create medicine and stuff like that. But can you imagine if pharmaceutical companies weren't part of the discussion of the opiate crisis? They caught, like, you know what? They created the opiate crisis, but they're part of the solution. Yet me, as a vape shop, am not allowed to be part of the solution to help people stop smoking, even though I didn't create the problem. That's an excellent point. Why? I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of people across North America have died as a result of the opioid crisis. And there was one company primarily behind it, at least with regard to one particular brand, and they've been admonished. I mean, they've basically filed for bankruptcy on, on one side. I mean, they clearly were involved in, in pumping that drug. And yet, the rest of the pharmaceutical industry is still welcome at the regulator's table. They're part of the solution. They cause the problem, yet they're part of the solution. 
I found a solution to a problem. I, oh, sorry, I joined the solution to the problem, but now I'm still the problem. So the hypocrisy, the system, and guys, I'm just, everybody out there keep using the term. I want it to be the 2021 vaping term of the systemic exclusion. We are being systemically excluded. It does not matter what we do, what we've done, how many people we've helped stop smoking. We are not part of any conversation. And that's why it's so important to support efforts that are being done amongst all this pressure, like things like, like what the CVA does, like they go and do things. Vita, when you look at... Um, rates for vapors we have this incredible survey up so i just want to give a little shout out to that go to www right number four vapors and fill out the survey because it's one of the first it's the only flavor survey out there and you can fill it out and let us and let them know and it's getting analyzed by a real researcher dr chris lalonde like this is the one of the first studies that is really simple and we're looking at flavor. And the truth of the matter is flavors are important. And we see that yet they don't accept this information because I'm sure Dr. Lalonde is now tarnished with something too because he supports vaping. It's sad. It's like once I feel that people in harm reduction are afraid to come over and help and build relationships because they too will be excluded from the conversations and we need to build those bridges. And it's hard and I get it. Like, I think I was sharing is that I spoke to, I have a friend who's a doctor who supports vaping and he got kicked out of conversations with that smoke-free tobacco group, the, the physicians against smoking. Like, we gotta stop this. They've got to stop this, but we also have to stand up against it. We can't allow it to be happen. Like if you vape, you need to not use the word smoke. You need to you you need to own the fact that you no longer smoke. You need to be proud of it. Stand up for it. Talk about it. You see someone misstep you? No. You see someone say that yo, you just switched one one habit with another. No, it's harm reduction. So, anyways, I think I'm going off topic. Well, I, I mean, I don't think you are. And, and quite frankly, I mean, that's why you're on the show. We need to, you know, have that vapor speaking to vapors kind of a position happening here because we certainly can't do that. I mean, you know, much of the things that you're saying are things that I know that RegWatch we've talked about over the years, but it's been tough for us to get that message across because, you know, we're not authentic in terms of that. We still are news, but I certainly can tell you that, um, the particular attention you need to pay to nomenclature is huge. And for a while there, it hasn't seemed that that's been on the priority list for vaping. Can you please define what nomen nomenclature? Nomenclature. Can you it's define that? I got to own it. Like when I don't know something, I'm going to ask. Sure. Well, don't make me look up the exact definition, but it's around the same use of the word lexicon that you were using. So it's the use of language okay. that becomes, you know, institutionalized in, in a nomenclature way. So it doesn't necessarily need to be defined, but it becomes, you know, common use uh, yeah. uh, language. And so and that's, that's what, you, what you're kind of saying. And why is systemic exclusion any different than using systemic racism? The, you know, it, that's been a powerful yeah. phrase. 
it's it's not guys we need to change the way we talk about vaping so we can set the example you know this is what i've i've kind of did this is that treat people the way you want to be treated you set that standard so if some like you know especially when people come in this shop and we, we try and be very kind about it but we don't use the word smoke we use the word vape um there's certain things that we do and we congratulate people for being smoke free we we talk about those kind of things and we hope that that kind of carries forward so like you know that's not smoke that you're blowing it's vapor that you're blowing and that's much different than smoke the two are not the same so we shouldn't use smoking terms and make them interchangeable with vaping i feel that we're at that position of i guess you know we've gotten older as an industry we've gotten much more mature that we can start using the proper phrases and be okay with um correcting people in a very genuine and kind way like i mean it's really important to be respectful as well well, that's true. And speaking of being respectful, have you found that the opposition to vaping has always been respectful? Oh my God, no. Like, sorry, like my claim to fame before COVID has done a lot of other stuff since then. But I think it was in January of last year. I mean, how many people can walk around and say that an, a member of the Order of Canada called them a pig and a troll on Twitter. Like, hello, thank you, Dr. Pipe. Like, I somehow, and the efforts that we did through Rights for Vapors, trying to get our voice at your conference where you didn't allow us to speak and didn't, where you started this, that tweet that you're showing was directed at the efforts that we did holding a conference against his conference. We held a press conference against his conference. Sorry, it's a little bit convoluted, but with um, Sherwin Edwards and Marion Burt, and we spoke about vaping because our voice wasn't heard. So what did he do? He literally, and I say this because he also sits on the um, advisory board on vaping for Health Canada, Called us trolls and pigs, which is kind of cool in a way because, like, this guy has the Order of Canada, which is a big deal in my opinion. But anyway, um, he still has this tweet up too, though, Maria. That's that's the level of hubris he has. Oh, he's got a couple more. Something about don't something else. Anyway, he's got a couple more. But you know what? We got under his skin because. Although they excluded us from the conference, Twitter didn't exclude us from their conversation. Right. So well, that was that was that was clearly 20, 2019 then, because Twitter excludes no, everybody. Was that twenty twenty? What which was January twenty twenty? Which conference was that? That was his, the Ottawa method. You know the the heart in Ottawa model for smoking cessation. But it was also Johnson and Johnson sponsored. I'm I'm just shocked, uh, just how you know brazen they are with the hypocrisy. And you know, quite frankly, people's lives are at stake here. And you know, on my end, smoked for 25 years. I figured it was going to be cancer that might get me. It was looking pretty good that I was you know through that. But then I got hit with rheumatoid arthritis this year, 
And it's an autoimmune disease. And I mean, quite literally, my immune system is trying to kill me because it's helping me. You know, one of those crazy things. And smoking is one of the leading factors. They don't know much about the disease, but they certainly know that if you smoke, that's bad. It's a pretty big indicator. And if you continue to smoke while you're ill, it only makes it worse and it makes the drugs ineffectual. So, you know, and we never hear about that. There's so many things out there that are, you know, resulting from smoking that aren't being talked about. All of the oxygen is going towards young people and vaping. And that's it. Oh my God, the new war on drugs is the war on vaping because the harm re- opioid, opioids did a good job because I am all in support of all forms of harm reduction, whether it be a seatbelt, safe injection site, um, I can't say the word, but the naloxone, the spray to help people survive their trip to the hospital on an overdose. Right. We actually have those kits in our shop just in case. Um, but I, They've done such an incredible job to fight for the addict that public health have nowhere to turn. So they've now shifted all their effort to shame the vapor. I mean, tobacco addiction, addiction to smoking is the only addiction where we encourage young children to shame the user. Well, and that is true because children have been used for decades now, at least since the early 90s, in this effort to shame uh, others with regard to tobacco use. And I just can't help but think that there's something very evil about that. It's because it's easy. We take in the shame. We allow that shame to happen. It's so in, in our heads that I'm a bad person for smoking that we hide it. So we've taken this addiction and put it in the backs of our sheds, into our garages. Um, Yet all of a sudden a product comes that doesn't have the telltale signs of pointing out and shaming that addict. So we don't smell, we don't have, you know, 95% of the harm is removed. So all these things happen and whoa, what are we going to do? Well, let's just shame them. We've got to still shame them. So they they continue to do it. And now we have people saying, oh, you better go back to smoking because that's going to kill you. It seems to me that there's something very religious in this, like in, in the nature, the whole nature. For, for one, what if a tobacco company did come out with a vaping product that successfully got people off of their killer products and on to something that is vastly less harmful, you know, risk-reduced products. So what if that tobacco company did do that? Are, are we not supposed to encourage them? The marketplace has encouraged smokers to create vaping and it created a multi-billion dollar a year industry. You know, 40 million smokers have quit and are currently vaping and fighting against government and so forth in order to keep this right. Uh, but this is still the marketplace that's operating is it something that they've got a problem with the marketplace? Like, why shouldn't the marketplace allow independent vape industry to grow and, and survive and thrive? And then why shouldn't also the same marketplace and government and all of these nonprofit health, health groups allow big tobacco to get out of their way, get out of the business of, of killing people and, and hopefully producing products that are much healthier and better? I don't know, but I can tell you this. Health Canada has the power to 
force tobacco companies to put a little piece of paper in their cigarette packages that say vaping is 95% safer than smoking or a quote from Health Canada's website. They have the power to tell tobacco companies what to put on their cigarettes, but they don't do it. Why? Think about that. Health Canada in their power has the ability, but they won't allow people to switch to vaping. They will not use all their tools to switch to vaping. But what they are doing is finding every single tool to keep people smoking. There, yeah. There's a problem. There is a, well, there's a problem. There's a lack of will because clearly you're absolutely right. Health Canada could put that insert into every pack of smokes. And if, you know, the odd people on the outside that want to harp and go, well, the 95% safer, that's not a real number and blah, 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 blah. It's backed up by the Royal College of Physicians in the UK. It's backed up by Public Health England. There's more than enough research to allow a first world health agency, such as Health Canada, to go ahead and put that statement uh, you know, in there and they could source themselves and it would be just fine. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying go to a vape shop. I'm not saying to put it, just tell people about vaping you on your website, do that, but no, you're not doing that. You are not balanced. You take the opportunities that health Canada has to help people stop smoking opportunities to have that conversation opportunities to talk about products. And then you look at where they're funding and where they're giving their micro grants. Like, let's talk about those micro grants, $2,500 of micro grants, $2,500 micro grants. So they can have, so people can do anti-vaping messages, not anti-smoking messages, anti-vaping messages. And then they support organizations that systemically, there I go using that word, let's keep on using it for 2021 systemically exclude the independent vaping industry from a conversation about vaping. So it's time that we hold, and you know what, maybe they're doing this because this is the way they've done it. And you know, change is hard. I get it. But let me tell you, every single person that tries to quit smoking, it's hard. And it's a hell of a lot harder to quit smoking if you remove options from people. If we want that number of 100 people a day that die from tobacco related illnesses to go down. We need health Canada to participate more. We need health Canada to allow us or demand us to be part of the conversation. We need them to stick up for us because we're not a bunch of whack jobs. The reason why we fight so hard is because we're fighting for our lives. The reason why vape shop owners fight so hard is because they spend time with every single customer that walks in that store. We have this connection. We have this responsibility and we get up and we fight for our customers. This is why this industry is different than many other industries. And you will never find a business that cares so much. And it's not about the profits, it's about the people. It feels like it's about the profits for everybody else. <laughs> now, let me all serious this though. Um, the critique would be is that you are an industry, you're a member of part of an industry, it's a lucrative industry. It is selling a product that's addictive. Nicotine is an addictive substance. So, you know, why should we take what you're saying, you know, at face value? How come your motives shouldn't be undermined? Because of course you're making money. How about you just get me in the conversation? How about you listen to what I say? 
or take what I say. And then instead of just ripping it off and saying, I'm not going to believe you because who says so, or because I've committed to this. How about you hear what I say and do what you do. Your, your, your position is to uncover truths. Your position is not to prove yourself right or to prove me wrong. It, for you, it's to uncover the truth. And somewhere in there, if we all just took the time to look, listen, hear, feel, because it's real people. There has to be a reason why this industry is lucrative. We do not need someone's allowance to make a profit. We have enough smokers. And I will tell you this, there are a slew more secret smokers in this world that people just don't talk about and they don't show up in the statistics. It's the stalker moms who need their four or five cigarettes before their, after their kid goes to bed and have, has that glass of wine behind the shed. It's the dads who in between hockey practices with their kids, they go in the back and have that cigarette. There are secret smokers. So you know what? No one knows exactly how many smokers we have, but what we do know is that people are looking for options to quit. People show up at vape shops and no one is listening to what is happening in the Canadian industry because we have, they, Canada has recently decided, and I still believe again, with that pig and troll tweet, Pipe gave them permission and they all followed that we need to ignore what is happening inside of the vape shop. They do not count. They do not matter. They have ulterior motives. Let's brand them. It's so much easier than having to prove them wrong. Just regular Canadians, you know, going out and about, you know, in your lives that for maybe that don't know exactly your position and your level of activism on this issue. Do you find like a sense of hostility that regular Canadians have towards vaping that may not have existed a couple of years ago? Okay. This is like the best example I can give you. It's like really random, but I won't tell you their position, but someone in a position of influence in one of the towns where one of the small towns that we have a vape shop literally went on our Facebook page and accused us of killing people during a volley. Like you can't get more hostile than during small business week, attacking a small business and making up lies about them. Like I just, people are hostile. People do not like vaping. I hear from customers that come in that people tell them to go back to smoking. Um, our little joke with one lady that I have, and she's like, you know what? She's in her late sixties and she loves vaping and no one's going to take away her caramel tobacco flavor. I mean, that's her favorite. Um, she, I'm like, so how many smokers told you today that vaping's going to kill you while smoking? She's like, oh, well, you know, I had seven last week. Like people do the message has gotten out. And the reason the message has gotten out is because there are no regulations about vaping and lying. There are only regulations about sharing the truth about vaping. And that's not allowed. Oh, now that is a, that's a very interesting way to put it. Sorry, I'm, gonna let, I'm not going to stomp all over your soundbite there. I'm going to get you to repeat it. So just, just to make sure that our audience is understanding that, you're saying that there are restrictions on telling the truth. Yes. There are restrictions regulations on telling the truth about vaping there are no restrictions about lying about vaping so technically i could say vaping will allow you to see unicorns 
because that's not a health claim. That's nothing like that. And I could not get in trouble. But if I was to tell you that vaping is 95% safer than that cigarette you're smoking, I could get in trouble, which I doubt they're ever going to push that regulation. That's just my opinion. It's going to cause too much problem. But so, yeah, I can tell you that vaping makes you see unicorns. Well, and you know, uh, sometimes it does, especially if it's a unicorn juice. No, I'm just kidding, of course. <laughs> um, but so do you think then that the change, because Canada, again, has been rosy and sunny. We are first world nation that the first first world, first world nation that legalized vaping to the extent that we did. That was supposed to normalize it to some extent. It certainly has helped normalizing cannabis um, more than it already had. But yet, man, if you compare the two, cannabis to vaping, I mean, vaping's just in the pit getting kicked on. And I mean, cannabis just keeps on rolling along. Oh, my God. I, on my Instagram stories, every single mommy influencer it has dose. Like everybody is pumping out their cannabis nighttime routine. And they are allowed, they are paid influencers. They are showing what joint, they're showing joints that they get bought. Like, so paid influencers for cannabis. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just want to share that, that I don't believe that we should look at cannabis and make them be like us because our industry should be able to stand up against this. We should not compare ourselves to what they're doing with the opiate crisis and demand that we should have it and not them. What I'm saying is that we should be treated not like tobacco. We should be treated individually. We should be treated as a legal consumer product. We should have fair regulations and fair access. And we should be looking at vaping on its own and looking at these other industries as allies and figuring out how did they get there. And I use harm reduction as an industry because they are powerful grassroots activists. It's moms who've had their kids die. It's people like Dr. Tyndall. And we can talk about him too, since he's supporting vaping. Like, you know, you can see the fact that he's been excluded as well. And his voice isn't valued by certain people. But we need to remove the value and the, how do I say that? Instead of trying just to squash all those people down from tobacco control, we need to bring ourselves up to their level. And that and that's it. And it's going to start with Health Canada. Health Canada has to play a play fair with both sides. Their job is not to pick sides. And now it had looked like that that's what Health Canada had done through the years. But you know, as soon as the vaping teen epidemic hit. There was a dramatic change at Health Canada. No, 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 no. Can we just call it what it was? As soon as the David Hammond study came out, like, we can't, like, I know you, like, I'm in a different position than you are, but truth be told is David Hammond came out with a study. He, he, he did all that stuff. He is listened to. He is respected. He is revered by people. Yet he comes out with a study that is not peer reviewed. It is not ready to go. But all of a sudden, the entire world shifts. And all of a sudden, we are hated. And then Dr. Hammond has to revert his study. What people, what we don't hear about that he's on sabbatical all of a sudden. And yet nothing shifts back. 
and he takes zero accountability for the damage that he's done to adult smokers. Yes. I'm sorry. Well, no, no, that's that's okay. That's okay. I mean, this is uh, you know, our platform is is open to all these all these things. There are things that you can say I can't, and we've certainly been strong on on Dr. Hammond. Um, we of course leaked uh, that that report was leaked to us, and we were the first to publish it before it was yet even peer reviewed. And uh, we took some hits from that, but you know, stood by it, and we're happy we did. It's hard though with scientists that are well-respected. I mean, look at uh, Dr. Glantz. He's, for, in a lot of quarters, extremely well-respected. Um, how do you push, up, push back against that? How about we look at his record of what he's done to women when it comes to Dr. Glantz? Like, I mean, that, like the very fact, oh my God, here we go again. <laughs> but the very fact that someone who has stolen work and took credit for work and has been had allegations and settled allegations of sexual harassment in the workplace. His voice is more valued by tobacco control than someone that helps a smoker quit smoking. Guys, like, here's the thing. I have to say, back to that conference, Dr. Glantz's invitation was removed. They actually stood up and I have to give them credit. And I do believe that they are going to make changes. But the Tobacco Vaping Forum was supposed to have Dr. Glantz speak, but they actually um, removed his invitation. Rumor has it. Rumor has it. So let me ask you back to the forum here for a second, because this forum is put on by, of course, the Canadian Public Health Association. My question to you, and it's an observation to the we've had, but so let me know if you, you see this, but it feels like to me that one of the differences, the change that's happened, you know, material change in the last year, year and a half, has been the rank and file public health people getting more active in pushing the misinformation and most importantly, exercising enforcement of the systemic exclusion. It, it, it is happening. And you know what? I don't think it. And you're right when you use the word rank and file, because I just picture two little soldiers at the front and everybody lining up behind them. I use Ontario as a really interesting example, only because I'm very familiar with Ontario's public health system. But we're going from 34, 36 public health units to 16. And you can see the difference of enforcement, and it's from the top down. The chief medical officer's position on vaping tends to butt filter down to the rest of the department. Um, and now we're going to go from 36 to 16 chief medical officers. I don't know if that's going to happen because of COVID, but you're going to see a big shift. Um, I can speak on Durham Public Health. The chief medical officer is a very anti-vaping and you can tell by the fact that we have extra rules than anywhere else in Ontario they layered on to the regulation um, I think that there is a prize and I do believe that provinces are fighting for the title of best anti-vaping regulations and you can see that Nova Scotia is currently winning New Brunswick private members bill just passed. We are the new war. The war on vaping is the new war. And there's nothing 
that they aren't willing to do to make sure that they win. And you can see by that, by you can see by what's happening. Well, what won't you put past them to do? I wouldn't put past them from like literally writing a children's musical about how people died from vaping in 2019 and presenting it at assemblies across on across Canada. Like seriously, I, I wouldn't put anything past them. I remember, sorry, I'm going to go completely off topic here. <laughs> go right ahead. I remember why I got involved to be active in vaping was because in Toronto, city councilor Gord Perks at the time um, decided to create a proposal to ban vaping on any city owned property, but you were still allowed to smoke on the city owned properties, but you couldn't vape on the city owned property. Yeah, go figure. So they had like a very last minute, like chamber conference and this kids choir performed an anti-vaping song in 2016 and it had moments of people dying from vaping related illnesses and like yeah i won't put anything past it they're going to use the kids i do believe also that the pharmaceutical companies are coming out with their own vaping product and it's going to be on market and everything's going to go through a pharmacy because when you see a lot of the conversations that they're having and you look you see the push for pharmacy supplying flavors. Can you imagine it takes you what? Like, I don't know. Like I have to go get my prescription refilled. It takes me 25 minutes just sitting there at Walmart pharmacy. Can you imagine if I'm gonna ask them? Oh, so like, can you tell me what the uh, inhale and exhale of that flavor is? Well, and there's also too with the pharmaceutical products, we've seen this, I'm not sure where the, the hail uh, product is in development, but this is about a year and a half ago, two years ago, maybe as far back as then now. And I believe Bill Gates uh, was involved in this company and so forth, not too sure. But uh, this product's main thing, of course, is this pharmaceutical. Of course, that make, makes it safer, apparently. But the key thing was, is that it was going to electronically control the dosing of nicotine. So through Bluetooth, of course, it, it, it will automatically go down in a step program. You won't be able to truly control it because, of course, if, if vapors really are using, you know, these products to quit smoking, well, then let's just get them off of nicotine, but let's use a pharmaceutical-grade product and we do that. To me, I see this all about control. Like the government is going to be controlling the nicotine dosages in vaping products. You could put your conspiracy cap on for that one, but that's the promise of that product. You know what's really interesting what you just said? Quit smoking, get off of nicotine. There's a big difference. People ask me, so have you stopped vaping? I say no, because I have no intention of stopping nicotine. I enjoy nicotine. I said, no one can tell me. So we have associated, because for so long there was only one way to stop smoking and nicotine were like this. I don't know. He's in a pod. <laughs> all over the place, right? Uh, totally. And um, all over one another. They were so closely associated with each other. And I remember people saying that, oh, if you could get the nicotine without the, without the harm, then it would be okay. And I remember like getting these anti-smoking lectures in high school in the late 80s. Yes, I'm that old guy. And um, 
talking about it, you don't, you're not dying from the nicotine. You're not dying from the nicotine. Then you're going to fast forward 30 something years later, or maybe 40. Oh, geez. Is it 40? Oh, it's almost 40 years later. Um, and now we are not separating nicotine from combustion. And here's the thing is that we have the right to choose what we put on our bodies. And we also have the right to choose a safer option. And you can't take that away. I stopped smoking. That's what you need to focus on. You want to fight me on my nicotine? Start a nicotine control group. But this has nothing to do with smoking when it comes to vaping after. The only correlation is the fact that vaping got me to stop smoking. Amen to that. Um, so we're going to start uh, wrapping up here. But before we do that, I've, I've oh, got I two things. things to share, though, before. Pardon me? Can I share two things? Yes. Uh, we're, well, okay. absolutely. You bet. We'll have some time to wrap up. Two things I wanted to make sure for our audience to know is that we have Claude Bates on in our next episode. We shot it this morning, and it's all on this issue, so which is fantastic. And he gets into how um, Article 5.3, which is what we've been talking about, you know, in the background here has, has really led to the shifting of goals amongst public health, you know, public health policymakers. And one of those being is that, okay, it's all shifted to nicotine now. And so that discussion, we're going to have that. And he's going to get into how this WHO article 5.3, you know, distort science and a bunch of other things. Clive is in his perfect self. So that will be out hopefully on the weekend. And then, too, on our side, we're running, you know, our fundraiser. Again, RegWatch is looking for viewer support and some industry support, too, as well, to help us keep our vaping coverage going. This is our fifth year anniversary this fall covering this issue, and we've been all in on this, guys. So if you've enjoyed some of our content and would like to keep going and see how we've been doing it and fighting this battle, um, please head over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com. And consider kicking in a few bucks uh, to help out our coverage. Monthly is great if you can do that. Even if it's small or large, it helps us plan. If it's American dollars, we'll take them. And, uh, of course, you know, that's the beg. I hate begging for money, Maria. Can everybody just donate to RegWatch? Like, where's the link? <laughs> there right you go. Down. Just do it. A buck, two bucks, a latte. How much are lattes now? Five twenty-five. Oh yeah, and I think that's cheap. So yeah. Maria, you're you had a couple of points you wanted to make here, and I and... want to share two things. Yep. So right now, um, a, a couple of years ago, we did the postcard campaign through Vapor Advocates of Ontario. Um, it was great. Let's talk about canceling us out. They used twenty three thousand seven hundred postcards, and said, and you considered us all one person. <laughs> so that being said, there were some a lot of lessons learned from that. Currently, um, just a couple of days ago, a couple of manufacturers and wholesalers are going to be re we're redoing the postcards um, to talk about flavors. There's a couple of things. Um, they should be in vape shops starting next week. Really important is there's a part down there of, on the postcard that lets you tell a story. You need to write out and fill out because we're hoping that will create a single submission to that. And you can find out more about it on the Rights for Vapors side. There are no logos on this postcard. We're just sending them out in preparation just in case. Because Dr. Pipe, the guy who calls us trolls and pigs, 
he's decided to do an email campaign getting people who have never vaped before and people who judge smokers, his main audience, um, to send an email to Health Canada telling them to ban flavors. So I thought it was really important. And Lalonde and the team at Rights for Vapors um, decided to support this and kind of help me out. So we will have access to it. It's not on the site yet. Oh, okay. I haven't up yet because I've been super busy. But the postcards will be getting out to the shops right now. I believe we have two or three um, wholesalers getting them out to the retailers. Again, um, we'll also have the card up on the site at rightsforvapors.com for shop owners. The second thing is, this is for consumers. Rates for Vapors is doing a contest, and we want to know about what your flavor is. Take a photo, tweet it. We'll have all the instructions out. But you can win $200, so two $100 gift certificates, one for you and one for your favorite vape shop employee. Because we think that vapers need want to give back to the people that help them get to where they are. So follow Rights for Vapors on Twitter. So it's R for V. Or you can follow me. If you can spell Papayawanu, <laughs> follow Twitter. <laughs> I didn't, I, oh, I man, you're gold. Track, but no one will ever call me a bot. That's right. Um, and, and that's fantastic. And this is exactly, I want, definitely wanted to have all these up-to-date things um, that, you know, vapors can do in Canada. Before you leave Rights for Vapors, just talk a little bit about that Less Harm conference too as well. Oh my God, this is like the coolest thing ever. So last year I noticed that there was going to be this Less Harm conference and it was all about harm reduction and it was encompassing. It was like, it's like the first ever conference about harm reduction that includes vaping. So um, I reached out to them and they gave me an opportunity and I had 15 minutes to talk about experiences as a vape shop owner. David Sweener was the moderator who is like, to me, a mentor. Uh, Philip, oh, sorry, I'm gonna get this, Pascal, and there was another guy, but they did some great presentations. There's gonna be a video on it and I'll make sure I share it. Um, and I was able to talk about the systemic exclusion, but guys, these are programs in there. It was so nice to see so many familiar places, but these are the types of conferences that we're being included in. They are, they include everybody. And these are the relationships that as an industry, we have opportunities to build. So it was really nice though, to see a lot of familiar faces in the zoom chat kind of audience area. And it, it's just growing. So the more times we can find a way to get our face in front of there, it's important. I know someone asked me, how do I get my voice out there? I'm a consumer. Hey, put up a video about yourself, tweet, talk about your story, sit down, put pen to paper, write an op-ed. Get That's how you get this stuff done. Reach out to organizations, like apply to do a TED talk. Guys, the more opportunities that we have, the more places you can talk about vaping, go do it. Talk about it in a positive form. Talk about it, how it changed your life. You don't have to get complicated and talk about all this other stuff. Just talk about you. We just need more of that. And that's the best way consumers can get involved and also support all advocacy groups. Anything that you see that is positive about vaping, reshare it, like it, comment in the, make a comment like on 
on Brent's stuff here on RegWatch. Comment on it. It creates engagement. On Twitter, retweet. If you're not on Twitter, get your butt on Twitter. It's a great place for this conversation to happen. Though, if you don't have to give money to support vaping, you can do those little things. And get on Parler too. It doesn't, you don't need to be just solely on, you know, Twitter or Facebook. I know it's a little bit on the conservative side, but trust me on this. Facebook has annihilated content like ours. They just kill it. And YouTube's almost no better. So, you know, quite frankly, we might, we're being excluded from the conversation on Facebook. We might need like our own, you know, our own place to go. But Maria, finally, if you could sit down with Health Canada right now, and communicate to them a message, what would that message be? I think I would ask them a question. I would ask them why they support the systemic exclusion of my voice in conversations about vaping. Well, and that's fair enough. Well, there you go. Awesome. Well, any last, any last things you want to talk about? Because this is it for us. We're about to close. No, I'm good. Again, at Papayawanu on Twitter. <laughs> Sorry, I just have to do that. But also, you can find me on Facebook to um, join Vapor Advocates of Ontario. Follow, follow the CVA group. Follow Vita. Follow Rights for Vapors. Follow VAO. Follow RegWatch. Guys, this is the best way we can do it. It doesn't cost you a thing. Excellent. Well, just thanks a lot, Maria. Just stay right there. And that is it for this edition of RegWatch. So before you head off, as mentioned, go to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com and consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. It's easy. Just dig into your wallet and find a few dollars and toss them our way. You'll be happy you did and so will we. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. For regulatorwatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.